0: Um, in Florida almost my entire life. Um, that, that song that Hannah sang and the Praise Man did was, was beautiful. Um, but I'm going to have to take your word for it about winter snow, because um, there's only one, one winter, one Christmas season, when Tony and I were in um, North Carolina. I remember we were driving back from um, Christmas caroling at the Ronald McDonald House. We'd gone with a group. And, we had gone, and it started to snow very heavily. You remember that? And it was, I was so excited because it's the only time I've ever seen snow at Christmas. And it was the last time I saw snow at Christmas. Um, as we, uh, in, in just a few moments, I'm going to turn to uh, Luke chapter 3 if you want to, uh, to turn in your Bibles there. I want to share with you, though, before we do that, just as we're in this um, third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy. Uh, what a great joy this weekend was, and my um, just just deep gratitude for so many of you and so many in the church that were a part of the Living Nativity on Friday and Saturday night. And when I say a part, I mean from those who, who helped create the scenes, who set up weeks in advance, to everybody who, from, from those who welcome when people come in, to everybody who's part of the scenes, uh, to those who kind of are the last presence when, when folks are leaving, um, and really, and those who will help yet with the, the tear down, we have over 100 volunteers that are part of this, um, this weekend, and I want to thank each of you who, who were involved in that. Uh, we had, in, on Friday and Saturday night, we had over 1,200 people come through our Living Nativity, um, which, which is twice what we had last year, which is wonderful. And somewhat frightening <laughs> for, the, for as we look forward. But, uh, but it was great. But I do, you know, with, with over 100 volunteers, it is impossible and really um, more, more um, well, let's just say it's just impossible to name everybody and thank everybody individually. And that's true for a lot of things we do. But there are two folks that I do want to recognize. I don't think they're in here for this service because of, of ministry. They're in other places. But that is Joe and Julie McNaughton. Um Joe, Joe and, and Julie, and there's a lot of folks, but Joe and Julie really are the catalysts. They start working on Living Nativity in September. Really, to be fair, I, I think we could say Joe never stops working on Living Nativity. And um, they're, they're the ones that really pull everything together. And, um, and so if you know Joe and Julie and you see them, thank them. Because they do tremendous ministry here, and uh, we're just really, really thankful. And so, again, it was a it was a great evening. And you know, over and over, all I hear is how much people were blessed. And we hope that if you came, you were blessed by it. And and you know, the just everything. It's just great. So, anyway, I wanted to start with that because it is a great um, joy for us here at the church. Um, now, we're going to turn to, to Luke chapter 3, and we're going to move right into our scripture this morning. And this scripture focuses on the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember, if you are here last week, as we read from the prophet Malachi, uh, it was a, a reading that we understand as a foreshadowing of John the Baptist, of the one who would come as the messenger. And, and this is um, that story in the Gospels. And... John's ministry as the one who would pave the way, make the path ready for the coming of Christ. So we pick it up in in chapter 3, verse 1, with these words. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of uh, Idorea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share it with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people, exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Heroditus, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Brothers and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Indeed, let us pray. Lord, we, uh, we pray your word would challenge us this morning. Challenge us in our faith. Challenge us in our discipleship, in our obedience to Christ. Speak to our hearts and shape us into who you have called and created us to be. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So as... I'm going to move this back just a tad, John. Beware. I walk around and I don't want to knock stuff over. Um, as I was uh, preparing this week, as I was, was thinking through these words in, in the third chapter of Luke, as I was wrestling with the imagery and this example um, from the, the ministry of John the Baptist. I, I kept coming back to this kind of shaping metaphor, this, this image that, in fact, I said early to Tony in the week, sometimes I'll bounce ideas off of her because she can often give me um, a different perspective and some insight. And I had this, this image I couldn't get away from, and um, it, was, it was of one of these. You know what this is? It's a boomerang. I was thinking about a boomerang. And uh, Joe, with all the things he did this week, Joe McNaughton, he made this um, boomerang for me. I had one as a kid. Anybody, how many had a boomerang at some point in your life? How many could ever throw the boomerang and make it do what it was supposed to do? (laughs) I never could. I could never get it to to come back. I um, went online. I actually watched a YouTube video yesterday on how to throw a boomerang. And I realized I was doing it, I always threw it this way. I was doing it wrong, and I watched, I studied the video. There's a lot of space in here. This will be more powerful. You might want to pay attention to this part of the sermon. You ready? Oh, I didn't catch it. Darn it. I did the first service. Now, I want to remain your pastor. I'm not throwing a boomerang in here. But I started to to think, and I thank Joe for making that as, as kind of an image for us this morning. But I started to think about this image of a boomerang. And, and, and a boomerang, when it's used as it should, it's actually a, a weapon of hunting in Australia, part of the, I believe, the aborigines there. Uh, but, but a boomerang returns to the place of its origin. And, and I did go on and watch videos of, of people throwing a boomerang and the arc that it makes and the trajectory of the journey. But when it's done right, it comes right back to where it started. And I started to think about that as an image of, of discipleship, a, an image of, of our growth in faith based on what I was reading here in this third chapter of Luke, and certainly in light of the many things that Jesus taught and the example he gave. And that imagery started to, to really become very powerful to me because it's very um, counterintuitive for me and, and maybe for you because I, I have a process or I have a... a, a um, tendency, I should say, to think of discipleship, the process of growth in faith, in a much more linear fashion. And what I mean is that, that somewhere we, we begin a journey of faith. We begin by, by coming to, to Christ and opening our hearts to the to the grace and the salvation of God. And so I think of it as kind of a starting point. And then we move in our journey, and we, we move in faith. And, and as we move in faith, we kind of I think of it as a linear process so that the more we move in faith, the further we get away from our starting point. You know, I started over here and, and this is who I was and, and today I'm, I'm further, you know, in a continuum of moving to be more like Christ. and I, you know, The journey never ends. We're never done until we come into God's glory. But I think of it kind of that way. But as I, as I read Luke chapter 3, I started to think about it a little differently. And, and what if... A model, not the model. Okay, There's a danger. I, I don't ever want to create a, a paradigm or a template that like everybody fits into. And that fits for all circumstances and all situations. But what if a model of faith, an understanding of our growth in Christ, is that we start in a place and we move in such a way that eventually we end up right back where we started. Now that seems... Little bit of a, of a conflict for us, but I'm not necessarily talking about it in a spiritual context. I'm thinking of it more in a physical reality. Now, l- let's, let's talk a little bit about what, what I mean here. John the Baptist. John uh, the Baptist is he's a fascinating character. We actually don't have a lot that we know about John because he's part of the very early narrative of the, the life and the ministry of Christ. But, but there's not a lot there. And each of the Gospels um, uh, talk about him. In fact, he's one of those characters in, in the, the story that, that is addressed, that each Gospel talks about right out of the gates. Luke chapter 3, we're reading about John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, we read about John the Baptist. Mark and John chapter 1. I mean, we get right to the ministry of John the Baptist. He's that significant and that important. But we don't get a whole lot. And, in fact, we we read here that at the end of this chapter, at the end of Luke chapter 3, or these verses, I should say, John's in prison. And that's going to be the last step, really, in his life. And he's in prison because John just didn't back down. John would not be silent, even in the face of the power players and, and authorities that had... Um, control over his future, if you will, in a, in, a, in a physical sense. John addressed sin, and he was very outspoken. He's very aggressive. He's probably one of those kind of preachers that would make most of us, if not all of us, incredibly uncomfortable. You know, he, he was, his message was not there to make anybody feel good. He wasn't soothing feelings. He was addressing sin and calling people to repentance, and he was eccentric uh, the, the the gospel of Matthew, uh, Luke, or Mark as well, talks about that he he not only was in the wilderness, but he wore uh, clothing made out of camel skins. He ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, he's somebody you'd look a little sideways at, all right? But he had a powerful ministry, and he had a powerful message. And in these encounters, as people came to hear him, we kind of get a very different look, we get kind of a boomerang effect, if you will, of what a journey of faith looks like. And it all gets, well, not all of it, but the beginning of it gets, gets captured in, in one sentence that is maybe easy to miss, but I think it's powerfully significant. And it's chapter 7, or verse 7. It says, John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him. Now, I started to think about that from the first standpoint. And, and you, you see, if you read in the Bible, I mean, you read in the Bible, you read in the bulletin the, the title of the sermon, uh, Wanting Wet and, and Working. Well, people came out to where John was. That was the first step. He was not in the cities, he was not in the urban centers, he was in the wilderness, he was out in the Jordan. So people had to make a conscious decision to say, We choose to go to where he is. There's something we want to hear. There's something that he's doing that that we want to connect to. And so they do what we do. They make a step based on a wanting. This is what drives everything we do at some level, whether it be spiritually deep or whether it be surface level. We do things because we want something. We we go to the grocery store because we want something food to put in our pantries. When, when we go out for a night, maybe we go to a movie, what we want is to be entertained in such a way that for a couple hours, we can disconnect from whatever our realities are, positive or negative in that moment, we can disconnect and we can get um, enveloped into another story. And that's, that's the want that drives us. In fact, I gauge a good movie. My test for a good movie is, do I ever look at my watch? That's how I will say, if I finish a movie and I've not one time looked at my watch to gauge how much time is left or what time it is, that's a good movie because that means for a couple hours I have forgotten about everything else because that's what I go. I want to be entertained. I want You go out to dinner with friends. You want to eat and you want to, to have fellowship. I mean, we could, we could do this for everything. There's, our actions are driven by a want. You got up this morning and you came here today. What is it that drove that? What is it that you came in here today wanting? Well, that same kind of want is what drove people to go find John the Baptist. They wanted something. And what I believe they wanted is what deep down we all want. They wanted to find something that had more meaning, more significance, more power, more authority in their lives than what they had found. And John's message was a message of repentance. And repentance means in some ways to let go of. They came to John knowing that he was calling them to something new. Knowing that they were being challenged to let go of one thing so that they could make room for something else. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to find something more meaningful and more impactful, and more real, and more life-giving, and life-affirming than what they had. So they go, and John says, repent, let go. Why does that matter? Because we let go so we can make ready to receive. That we can make room for something more, something significant. Isn't it funny that the whole story of Christmas seems to be engulfed in this idea that we need to make room. And the story of Jesus is about those who just didn't have room for him and those who did. And so we're challenged. We come wanting. We come wanting. And just like they did. And when they came to John and they heard his message and they were challenged by his message, they were invited to get wet. They were invited to baptism to the receiving, to that recognition of the presence of God, of God's Spirit that would come upon their lives. That that is what they received. They let go so they could receive. The same way that we recognize baptism as a profession of our faith, but also as an act of what God has done for us. The God's Spirit that has come into us, that has forgiven us, has washed us anew, has created in us new creations. And that's exactly what John's doing. He's baptizing them. Let go and receive God's forgiveness. They came wanting and they came to get wet. That is part of that journey that we recognize. And it's kind of that linear progression. We, you know, we start here. We seek the presence of Christ. Christ comes into our lives, whether that's a reaffirmation of faith, whether that is a, a new faith for us, and we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is symbolic in our baptism in water, but it's so much deeper and so much more real. So we begin this journey of wanting and wet as the recognition of God's Spirit upon our lives. And then very often what we imagine is that our journey then continues this way. But what's interesting is those who came to John in these moments experience the boomerang effect. And that is, they are propelled right back from whence they started. They're propelled right back into the same experience, the same lives, the same jobs, the same circle of relationships that they had stepped away from to come and hear his message. So rather than moving further away from the point of origin, they actually are sent right back into it. And this is what started to really speak to me. As as you read these words, and and John challenges his listener, and he's he's confrontational to the audience, you know, God will hold us accountable. There will be a winnowing. There will be a separation of the wheat and the chaff. But but hear what he says. After the baptism, after people receive this, they ask him this question, verse 19, what should we do? What should we do? And John says this, verse 11. Anyone who has two shirts should share it with one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Now these words ought to sound vaguely familiar to us. It's the heart of what Jesus would say that that we give, we share, we offer. Then it goes on, and this you can't miss this. Verse 12. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Now you have to recognize that Luke is kind of talking about this mass group of people, all kinds of people. So when Luke starts to highlight various categories, that's significant. When when, when Luke says, even tax collectors came to be baptized, what Luke is saying, what we ought to understand is that even the lowest of the low, even the most despised and hated came to be baptized, even those who were most pushed aside and devalued by faithful people, came to receive this message. And so they asked John, what should we do? And John says, don't collect any more than you are required to. And then the very next verse, then some soldiers asked him. Again, tax collectors and soldiers, Roman soldiers. Luke wants to remind us that this gospel is for all people, even those who are not Jewish. And that becomes part of the narrative of Luke and Acts. But but here, these are the two groups of people that are just about as, as hated as any two groups of people could be. Tax collectors and soldiers. And John says to them, he says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, here's what I realized was happening. John is pushing them right back. They've come, they've heard his message, they've received the Holy Spirit. But John's saying, now you are boomeranging back to the place you started. But now it's time to get to work. Now it's time to take this experience of God's presence, to take this anointing you have received, to the, 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 the Spirit that is filled in your wanting. that it, the baptism that has made you wet, and you need to begin to live into it. You need to go back to your jobs. You go back to your circles of relationships. You go back to your families and your friends. And now you begin to live differently because God has done something with you now. And you are called to let go of the behaviors that are defined by selfishness. Why would a tax collector take more money than he was entitled to? To line his own pockets. Why would a soldier extort people and falsely accuse for his own benefit? And John says, that's not you anymore. You've been baptized in the Spirit. God's presence is upon you. You go back into those same places, but now you begin to live differently. You begin to live into the presence of God and into the call of God. Of God into your lives. And so rather than move further away from the point of origin, that next morning they wake up and they're right back in that same place. But they're different. But they're different. And that's where the boomerang image falls short. That's where I'll confess to you this image falls Because when you throw a boomerang, it comes back to you exactly as it left. But when we boomerang back into our relationships, our jobs, after we have encountered or re-encountered the presence of God, we don't come back the same. We come back changed and we come back different. Because all of a sudden, the selfish impulses, the focus on our own desires and our needs, it gets changed and it becomes all about Jesus. It becomes all about living into that relationship and that faithfulness. You know, it, we, we focus on, on a baby this time of year because that's the narrative of the birth of Christ. And, and we focus, as I said earlier, on this, this image of making room and, and, and the significance of that. And, and I remember when we were getting ready for, for Ryan to be born. And we did all of those things to get ready. You know, we, we did the nursery, we bought the clothes, we bought the diapers, they had the baby showers, all of those things that were built upon the presence, the physical location. What I didn't realize is that really what I needed to get ready for was a relationship that would now govern my life. And I don't say that. That's not, a, that's not, that's not an aha funny. That's a, as soon as Ryan and Cassidy came into it, that relationship became the most defining relationship of, of earthly relationships, aside from my relationship with Christ. And everything... Shaped, the way I, I mean, it shaped everything I thought about. About a month after Ryan was born, I took a group of young adults on a ski retreat at Snowshoe, West Virginia. And when we were on the top of the mountain at the end of the retreat, we were scheduled to leave um, that next morning. They started to get reports that a snowstorm was coming in. And so we had to make a call. And when I say we, I mean I had to make a call <laughs> as to whether we were going to kind of just hunker down and kind of ride out the storm which would extend our trip a couple days or we were coming down the mountain and there was a lot of weight on that decision and certainly my desire to make sure everybody in that group got home safely was very very powerful but I'm going to tell you what the thing that I thought of more than anything is I need to get home to my son I want to get home to my kid because that became the relationship that became most pivotal in my thought in the way I acted and what I did But far more significant is what God calls us to as a relationship in Christ that becomes the defining, the shaping relationship. That's what John's talking about. This new relationship shapes you differently. So when you go back to the place of origin, you go back to those relationships and that job and those things you do, you begin to act differently because you're focused on Christ. Stanley Hauerwas was my Christian ethics professor at Duke Divinity School. A powerful speaker and and, and writer. One of his lines that is I have just held on to, it's one of my favorite lines, and I've said it before, but he would say to us that as the church, as disciples, as Christians, you don't look at the world and try to be different. Okay? You don't look, we don't look at the world and try to be different from the world. Rather, we look to Christ and that will make us different. I mean, do you hear the difference? We look to Christ and that will make us different. John says, you go back different. You go back different because of what God has done in you. And I was thinking about it again in the living nativity. And if you came and you're part of it, you know that when the journey begins, you go out this door right here by the kitchen. And you loop around kind of like a boomerang. And you come back at the far end door. So you begin and you end in the same place. But we do this because we pray that while you may end at the same place, you don't come back the same person. That may not be a pivotal life faith moment or a life-changing faith for you or for me. It may be a renewal, a reconnection. But the point is, you come back to the same place, but you don't come back as the same person. That's what John does. Propels people. That's what Christ does. He calls us not to disengage, but to engage in the places very often that we started. And so sometimes our faith journey may be linear, but very often it's going to put us right back where we started. But it's not going to put us back as we started. And so he says to them, and God says to us, you come wanting. Let me fill your deepest want and be filled with the baptism. Receive the water of baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit. But then, brothers and sisters, get to work. Get to work. Go back different. Because your eyes are focused on Christ. That becomes the relationship that defines you. Wanting, wet, and working. Many of us have had the wanting filled. Many of us have been wet in the, pa- in the power of our baptisms. But brothers and sisters, we all need to remember that to get to work. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, wherever we are, are in the journey, I meet us there. Very often we're, we're back and forth. It's a, it's, it's a never-ending process of becoming And we're often in various places in the journey, and it repeats frequently. But you're always there. You're with us. And you're renewing us, calling us, filling us. But then you use us to be difference makers, to get about the work for which you've called us. Help us to be faithful to that, now and always. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.